The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and I'm delighted to be recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference in Atlanta. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses, and work with them to develop strategies and business and leadership practices that leverage those trends and create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member with universities in the U.S. and Germany. We talk about the rate of change in our current world, and according to Ray Kurzweil, we anticipate that technology change in this century will be 20,000 times the rate of the last century. And what that really means for leaders is that we will have to metabolize these changes, identify which ones impact our industries, and create solutions that enable our businesses to to continue to thrive without being derailed. It also means that the complexity of these changes is continuing to increase. So our complexity as leaders needs to correspondingly increase. And that's really a lot of the impetus behind this work is helping leaders innovate how they lead or specifically change their business practices, their leadership practices, their leadership behaviors in a way that corresponds with the environmental changes that we're all facing such that their organizations will be better off with these changes rather than getting derailed. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to listen for something from each of the presenters that you might want to implement in your own lives. I talk about leaders moving from command and control, but toward what? It's the mind of the scientist. As I am faced with these changes, How do I know what to do, how to do it, when to do it? And for most of us, we are creating the leading practices. We no longer have books to go to that define what is best. That's in our court. So how as a leader do I go from being a great student of the master's to becoming one of the masters. And I will be sharing information from some of those masters for you to leverage such that you become one of the masters. So I invite you to listen each week for something that you can implement in your own leadership and test it out. And I would love to hear back from you if you find something that was particularly useful. 
Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or visit our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to share your successes and lessons learned with our listeners. Hi, welcome back to the Innovative Leadership Series at the International Leadership Association Conference. And today we're joined by Aldo Boitano. So Aldo, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are on the board of the International Leadership Association. You're the Executive Director of Executive Development in Chile. How'd you get here? <laughs> well, it's a long, long uh, love affair with the uh, ILA. I first presented a case when I was living and working in the U.S. in, in Charlotte and took a bunch of MBAs to Chile to work on social cause with some outdoors and then also visit companies and their business models. And <clears throat> we thought that was interesting to the people of ILA with a professor from that Queen's University, Old School of Business of Charlotte. And we presented in Vancouver. And then I said, wow, I'm, I'm just one of lots of people here <laughs> who are presenting. And, and uh, I, I ended up uh, being interviewed uh, in Los Angeles, I think, was the next conference. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, two and a half years ago, I was uh, asked if, uh, if I wanted to be a board member. And I very happy to do so. And I, by that time, I had become independent and had my own company called Executive uh, Development. And uh, Chilean by birth, but my first language I learned was German because we moved to Germany as a little kid and back to Spain and back to Chile, then to the U.S. as an exchange student, back to Chile again, seven years in the U.S. and now back to Chile and keep traveling at least once or twice a year to, to the U.S. to teach or visit family or friends. Mm-hmm. How many languages do you speak? Uh, four. English, German, Spanish, and my according to my dad, nonsense. So I want to ground our interview in the leadership competency of intellectual versatility. So the work we had published by ILA last year in the Leader 2050 book, looked at seven leadership competencies we think are required going forward in a more complex world. So one of them is intellectual versatility, has developed interests, expertise, and curiosity beyond the job and organization. So let's start with, that's the launch into, why does mountaineering help you be a better leader? Because that's going to seem a bit like a non-sequitur. My background, my original background is uh, industrial civil engineering. Mm -hmm. In Chile, we study six years. That means you go for the the bachelor degree and then the master's degree all together. Mm -hmm. And and no no one stops studying at the bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, dear number, five and a half, <laughs> I, I organized something called uh, Breaking the Squares. Okay. Even though we were cemented to be really squared and and, and, and out of, uh, out of uh, I don't know, 800 students that enrolled every year in the various engineering fields, we had guys who were famous pianists, guys who were uh, uh, Olympic judo uh, uh, wrestlers, me who was a climber people who mm-hmm. paint poetry, and it was mm-hmm. a lot of art and a lot of uh, other things, uh, mm-hmm. famous chess players, maybe chess is more related to mathematics, or, or mm-hmm. and uh, and I keep founding that over and over again. So long story short, I got my my degree because uh, it, it allowed me to do mountaineering. <laughs> it was the, the other way around. I have a dad who had uh, 
was awarded the presidential award for being the, the, the most outstanding engineering engineering graduate back when he graduated on a mechanical engineer. And mm. lots of relatives in my family were famous for their for their really uh, technical side of brain. So I said, okay, mm -hmm. maybe I'm not that bright in that, but I I do like back then also organized poetry contests and things. So mm -hmm. so, but then in life, in working life, uh, and and I realized that. Uh, the, the, the ability to, to overcome difficulty, uh, positive view on life, even mm -hmm. though I lost nine mm -hmm. dearest friends because of mountaineering, they died wow. uh, and, and a lot of uh, emotional, personal, and social mm -hmm. skills uh, mm -hmm. are important to succeed in life. I, I've been the CEO of a large ski area, the CEO of a company that sold the mining equipment and things like that. Mm -hmm. and now I'm independent, like I said. But uh, all those things are much more important, and I know you teach at an mm -hmm. engineering school are important for succeeding in life. Of course, mm -hmm. there's the work of a, a Goleman or emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, things mm -hmm. devoted to soft skills. But in, in engineering curriculum, not, or not much other than mm -hmm. what you told me, <laughs> or my effort, my effort, yeah. who was an effort on the side. So, so that, that that's what I like about ILA, the diversity, the the, the the fact that they're trying to be global, the fact that they're reaching out, the women's work, how, how mm -hmm. impressive the series of books and, and, and meetings and webinars mm -hmm. of women, and, and, and I'm just trying to make mm -hmm. that yeah. kind of yeah. So, so let's talk first about mountaineering mm -hmm. and then about the ILA conference mm -hmm. and why as a leader this would be a good way to invest time mm -hmm. because one could say, boy, that list of things looks like a bunch of stuff I don't do, like poetry, not my thing, or peace studies, or mm -hmm. inclusion, or I mean, not that we should be creating war and exclusion, mm -hmm. but I may not have a specific interest in that thing. And yet, you're on the board who has created this very diverse conference because of, I'm assuming, things like intellectual versatility, that there's an opportunity to go sit in a one-hour session and get some exposure to a topic that I wouldn't otherwise know about. And I don't need to be an expert, but I at least need to know about how inclusion impacts leadership success, how implicit bias drives the decisions I make and the hiring I make, those kinds of things. Yeah. So, so let's flip to mountaineering and how, so when we say mountaineering, you're talking serious. <laughs> you're not talking the thing I did. <laughs> I, I've been in various expeditions all over the world and I've been taking work on MBA students to Antarctica for, I don't know, I spent like six New Year's Eve on a row over there with oh, wow. them uh, a while ago, not so, but five, seven years ago. But uh, the, the reason I really like mountaineering is just exactly somebody who will come to a conference and say there's nothing I could learn. Mm -hmm. I was bad at mountaineering and I love the fact that that with patience, with hard work, mm -hmm. I could do well. I was a famous, not famous, but a good swimmer and a good in other sports I was good. But mm -hmm. I, I like the fact that you take day by day a big mountain mm -hmm. like K2, world's second, second tallest mountain, mm -hmm. one of the most dangerous one, one of the most dangerous ones. We did a successful expedition back in 1996 uh, without anybody being lost or dead. Mm -hmm, People mm -hmm. were close, and and I've mm -hmm. been in many other mountains like Mount uh, Denali or Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact that you take people out of the comfort zone, or you take yourself as a mm -hmm. people out of the mm -hmm. comfort zone, and then 
once you're in that comfort zone, hopefully not in a panic zone. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. sometimes that happens. Yes, but in a conference, you, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could, and then you say, well, this person out of art, it's, it's good. There's something to mm-hmm. value it. Uh, there's uh, something on ethics that I should mm-hmm. add to, to, what I, to what I preach in my company or, or at some of those tools. Uh, for some reason, when we become specialized, uh, somebody said that the, the, the last uh, book wrote on management was the, the onboard sand on the Greek philosopher and the treaty, and, and the book, I uh, forgot the name of the book, but it, it, it was uh, a book written to, I don't know, a long time ago, 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and and what, what I meant to that is, is, is we as human beings have always been the same people. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe a long time ago we didn't have seven habits or, or ten commandments. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. And, and we had the same challenges, and it was a mix of physical challenges, of, of intellectual challenges, of social mm-hmm. challenges, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we will address them individually or by family or by community. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and nowadays it's just, okay, why do I need... For my business to do good, to do other things, why? But every mm-hmm. time there's a crisis on ethics or reputation or this and that, mm-hmm. then the people go back to to these things. I think uh, a conference like this, where people from different walks of life, famous consultants, mm-hmm. famous professors, but also practitioners and people from other mm-hmm. fields, uh, it's good. It's good. It's good for for your mind, for your life, for your, mm-hmm. your business. And I, I'm very thankful that uh, I always see ILA kind of a uh, ahead of, of its times, so with the, kind of the previous conference, it will help the, the world in mm-hmm. the next round. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brussels is coming up. Uh, uh, I would like thanks uh, thanks that we will be so close to the international court that words or, or presentations on, on on justice, on on uh, reconciliation, and other things mm-hmm. come up come out of that. I think that just. Uh, one career or one way of thinking is just uh, too limited to the challenges of the world today, and ILA offers a, a, a glimpse mm-hmm. or a view uh, to the conferences, mm-hmm. to other world views. I attended my first conference um, in Barcelona last year okay. in conjunction with the Leader 2050 book, and I was delighted, and back to this intellectual versatility, you know, hearing people from several European countries talking firsthand about um, the Syrian immigration and how how their countries were dealing with it. Not the the stuff that was sanitized, but these are intellectuals and researchers, not the negative bias based on some of the the filters that we see. But it seemed like a very balanced discussion about pros and cons and the real world challenges that we have precious people who are are being persecuted. So how do we grapple with the ethics of sharing a planet? where we have people who are being killed and yet we don't want to go outside of our comfort zone and where are the ethics there? It was beautiful to have the opportunity to have an hour of that conversation and then go back into another session that's core to my work and then go hear something about peace studies and then go you know, do six other things about my, the core of my work, vertical development and all that stuff. But, but just that exposure really some of those conversations really stuck with me and the ones that proved not so interesting I left and went on to something else right? I, I remember getting into a room in Barcelona I was there mm-hmm. to, uh, with a, a group of guys who, who had started a foundation in Medellin, Colombia mm-hmm. to just 
pure reaction at the first of a killing of a graffiti person or something. Oh. And they and they created uh, a, a foundation mm-hmm. to arts against violence. But their their presentation was with this timeline and the political timeline, all the crisis in in, in Colombia at the time, and their response every time. Every time there was mm-hmm. some problem, like a killing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they will instead of two hundred thousand people going. Half a million people will go and do a music festival, and, huh. and how they really recuperated their space, and, and, and how they, they the people who were against or for whatever guerrilla mm-hmm. government, how they will bring themselves together towards art and towards peace and everything. And I said, why? I don't know about this. Why? Yeah. Why? Why in the news I only receive one? Why? Yeah. Like the same to you. I mean, you, that's, and it, it wasn't like, like trying to convert you into something. They're just presenting what they did, how they did mm-hmm. it, and, and they're, they're still questioning that they have till today, their challenges they're facing, and it was like that. And like, like you said, kept mm-hmm. bouncing on different rooms and different things. And each of those gives me something to think about, that now when we have a negative impact to our company, in the real world of someone kills themselves. I was in a session a couple days ago, university session, and one of our people left because one of the students had committed suicide. This is a real situation. How do, what is the positive antidote? Because the suicide is a very real impact on the child, obviously, who's no longer here, the family, the students around them, the folks in the dorm, that, that ripples out. So not that a music festival undoes the negativity, but are there things that we do that build positivity? Well, back back then, I, I was surprised. I was remember the Coca-Cola index on happiness. Uh, for some reason, it gets on the news every once, and then they do a survey on, on happiness. And now United mm-hmm. Nations with the with the Bhutan or some yeah, of that Bhutan, stuff. They're also trying to measure. But Colombia was always top ten hmm. all these years <laughs> with all their their problems. And and some countries who don't have many problems, they're more. Not so happy. All I'm saying is uh, mountaineering, when you get out of the comfort zone, you have the luxury of being in an expedition isolated and everything. Back then, even more, because mm-hmm. without satellite phones and things mm-hmm. that you do, do they have. Mm-hmm. Or the luxury of taking a few days off and going to a conference and attending different mm-hmm. worldviews, different conversations, really gets a perspective of the important things in life where not that many, <laughs> and they're fairly simple. That, that, mm-hmm. and, and then for days you feel relieved and you you kind of, like going back to your company or to your daily life, you have mm-hmm. like a, a way of acting or, or, or seeing things really clear mm-hmm. From, mm-hmm. From, from a different way. But then you, you get inside the forest, you get tangled up, you, you just, and so every mm-hmm. once in, for me, every once in a then to get out, go out in the outdoors or go into conferences and listening to other people's points of view, roundtables, whatever, it's a, it's a good way of re-energizing your life and your, mm-hmm. your goals and, and try to do something. We actually presented a book late, uh, just going to be um, part of the Building Literature Bridges, like as okay. you did in, mm-hmm. in March, and it's called Breaking the Zero-Sum Game, and, and we collected tales from around the globe, from China, mm-hmm. from uh, Sri Lanka, from from uh, South America, from U.S., Canada, mm-hmm. of, of theories or ideas or even uh, from colleges in the U.S. of, mm-hmm. of the notion that why to win, uh, you have to beat somebody. Why why mm-hmm. can you make things that everybody wins and, and how that inclusive leadership was about. Okay. So it was, but it, I, we didn't do anything. I mean, me as a co-editor with my two fellow co-editors, mm-hmm. we basically asked 
out of the 21 articles, we had uh, 13 mm -hmm. authors there. And tell in five minutes about your, and we were, wow. Well, I mean, we, we read the articles, we collected them. Mm -hmm. It was eye-opening and very much, as, as you said, all uh, uh, campus riots. This yeah. is how we did it, okay. The, the uh, Arab Spring, this is what Pope uh, Francis, when he visited Obama, uh, the Donald Trump, whatever. It was mm -hmm. Angela Merkel dealing with the Syrian immigration. Mm -hmm. Those were the topics. Those were the topics. You know, uh, the civil rights, the, 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 the Dreamers Act. All those things happen in, in just a, in a 90 minute span with 13 people who spoke. It was like a world travel, <laughs> history travel. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just thinking I, I work with a researcher, a uh, Harvard adjunct researcher, who talks about the idea of positive deviance. And what wow. do we learn from those significant outliers? on the positive side. It's so easy to focus on the negative. That's the way our brains are wired. It's a survival mechanism. And yet, who are those extremely, the, the people who aren't on the news? And, and what do we learn from those individuals? So I want to shift gears only slightly because everything we're talking about is, is sparking in me the idea of vertical development. Mm -hmm. That I make significant development not on my skills but in my meaning making only by going out of my comfort zone. So the mountaineering, the going to sessions, now going to sessions here I don't risk my life, right? <laughs> I'm in a Hyatt. Uh, so different than K2. But I can feel pretty twitchy when I come out of a session where they're talking about something that I don't agree with. I may completely disagree with it, or I, it's just something I hadn't been exposed to. I feel a little uh, un, uncomfortable, and it is that either extreme discomfort, as in you're on a mountain wondering if you're going to die. Um, for me, climbing Kilimanjaro because I wasn't an athlete, and I played soccer it's in it's high it's school, it's but it's that it's doesn't a count. Mountain. It's a tall mountain, <laughs> 6,000 meters, 5, no, 5, 9, 8, 5. 19.3 feet. Yes. So you can't breathe very well if you get yeah, altitude it's sickness. Cold. It's cold up there. <laughs> well, and bodily functions just stop functioning <laughs> the way we think. And there's no, there's no cover when you're going to get sick. So all of those things, you know, that you wouldn't think are leadership building. And yet building that inner character, that character, idea that it is... That's what I was thinking all the time. In, it's you're building your character, yes. One foot in front of the other. And my guide basically picked me up and said, three more steps, and then you can fall over. Four more steps, and then you can fall. And that was how we we hit the top. Is, well, that's how you so climb a big mountain. One feet in front of the other. That's, that's how you write a book. <laughs> that's it. how you run a company. Yeah, that's, that's how you raise a child. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to your point, there's some stuff that's totally novel and different and out there that we have to understand. And then there's the basics. And I haven't met anyone, now, not all leaders have climbed mountains, but all leaders have slogged through something that they didn't want to, it was painful. They, they say that it's good for your brain. If you go to your workplace in the same route every day, you're not thinking, it's like driving, you're not, yeah. you go a different way. If you have lunch instead of with the same people, so it's more like a challenge yourself. That's mm -hmm. the, met, the metaphor behind mm -hmm. uh, mountaineering or coming. Challenge yourself for the sake of growth. Life is short. You're Don't not, make it dull. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> try to amuse yourself. Try to. Uh, if somebody gives you a book and you read three pages and you don't like it, okay, don't give it back, don't hide it in your closet. Mm -hmm. 
try to give it a, 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 a chance later on in life. And then, mm -hmm. oh, wow. That, 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 it's more to the, the metaphor behind that. Get out of the comfort zone, don't get in the pants, mm -hmm. so don't risk yourself. It's, right. It's challenge yourself because that's part of who you are, the character. Uh, I, I lived in the U.S. eight years already and, mm -hmm. uh, in the various times, and I like the fact that here in the U.S. people, the country as a whole challenges itself every mm -hmm. once in then. Mm -hmm. 1980s, I was an exchange student, and the, the, all the crisis with the car, the ride in Toledo, you mm -hmm. all the crisis and everything. Yeah. And they came answers, management answers, and uh, the Kaizen mode, or the oh, this yeah. or that. And, and then the country goes up again. Not only people, but countries as a whole sometimes mm -hmm. need a challenge, need, need to mm -hmm. get out of the comfort zone. And, and this election may be done for us. But on that note, we're not going to go there. No, no. So let's wrap up. Yes. Can you give people your contact information? If yes, someone wants yes, to yes, reach yes. you in your company, yes, how might they find you? Aldo, A-L-D-O, just like the shoes, uh, mm -hmm. at executivedev.com. Okay. That's Aldo it. at executivedev.com. Yes. Yep. And also at ila-net.org. Uh, ila and look at under the board. Okay. <laughs> my info. Thank you so much. I, I, I wish you had talked more of the stuff you said. It was very interesting to me. Oh, thank you. Follow up afterwards. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, so as we think about how do we as leaders encourage ourselves to develop intellectual versatility and beyond the things that are truly just cognitive, but the versatility of how do I put one foot in front of the other? That mountaineering thing, <laughs> totally. The first time I um, I did another trip and I, I um, worked very hard to make sure my feet didn't go out on the first day. And I fell, and I got drenched, and I had leather boots, and for seven days I had wet feet. Oh, and you know what? It was a little uncomfortable, and it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, you don't die most most of the time. You, nothing happens to you. Yeah, now I now I say a good hiking trip is I bled and I got lost, and I'm fine. <laughs> the most the hardest the, the best thing of going into the outdoors. You love your bed like you're never. And your restroom. Your restroom, showers. Yeah. Things you take for granted every day. You are. Oh, you're so happy to see them back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Yes. Aldo, thank you yes, so thank much. You. It's been quite a delight. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. 
Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome, Gamma Pellucci. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, and we are at the International Leadership Association Conference. Gamma is one of the founding members of the International Leadership Association. Is that right? Well, I'm the, the first uh, chair okay. of the board of directors of uh, when uh, the International Leadership Association became an independent uh, organization, a 501c3 uh, organization. So I was... Uh, uh, appointed by the board as uh, the, the first chair. But um, my other hat is uh, I'm the dean of the McDonough Leadership School at uh, Marietta College in uh, Ohio, and, uh, but also a scholar, and I also write uh, about uh, leadership. And so you were going to tell us a little bit about your book from last year that you are a co-author of. Sure. Um, the, the title of the book is Understanding Leadership in Arts and Humanities Perspective. It was published by uh, Rutledge, but uh, with my co-author, uh, Robert McManus. But um, in, in that book, uh, what we, uh, the main emphasis of the book is to understand leadership. It's not just to talk about the leader. And I think, in a way, the the field still is struggling, the field of leadership struggling to move away uh, from that. Too much emphasis on what leaders do and uh, that, that personality uh, mm-hmm. cult. And in the book, we emphasize four other components that we need to pay attention to. So, for instance, uh, we also... Uh, pay close attention to uh, followership, the importance of followers. So can you give a little more information about what followers are and how do I, as a leader, inspire followership? Oh, certainly. We know what followers are. Well, right. (laughs) No, but uh, the the importance here is that we see, especially through um, technology and communication, Mm -hmm. how followers are becoming mobilized and Mm -hmm. uh, developing their own voice and very powerfully and uh, particularly in the area of politics we see the Arab Spring and the mm-hmm. different uh, movements. The only thing that you see is uh, that uh, with these kinds of movements uh, whenever you don't have uh, leaders working with followers these movements uh, don't tend to be as successful. Which is an interesting area for research, and a lot of the Arab Spring 
movements um, mm -hmm. just uh, took off, but then disappeared and were not uh, as effective. So that's that's the one other component. And the other one is the emphasis on the goal. Uh, so to what extent uh, leaders and followers agree on the common goal? So the Arab Spring, how would that have looked if there were a common goal and leaders? Because it seemed like the groundswell was what made it so powerful. It made powerful, but not lasting. Okay. It did not produce. Uh, mm -hmm. So what, uh, and we mentioned this in, in the article, that you could make the distinction between the uh, French Revolution mm -hmm. and the American Revolution, that uh, the American Revolution had a clear delineation in terms of leaders and, and then uh, followers. But then the French Revolution, in, in the beginning, mm -hmm. that it did not have clear leaders and uh, the followers rose. And, and that is to say that this phenomenon of followership is not mm -hmm. new. Arab Spring is not new. The French Revolution mm -hmm. was, in fact, uh, very similar. But uh, it, it became so um, violent mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it did not produce in the short run, the kinds of changes that they were hoping. Now, eventually, with the advent of mm -hmm. the republics, and, and mm -hmm. then it, it had a, a positive uh, outcome. But uh, the third uh, item that we talk about, uh, so you have leaders, followers, goals. A lot of our discussion about uh, leadership today only uh, has these three components. They say, well, leaders work with followers and they achieve goals. That's it. <laughs> and yet this all happens in the context. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So it is also important to factor in the, uh, the contextual uh, place uh, where that relationship between leaders and followers uh, mm -hmm. take place. It does not take place in a vacuum. So leadership in the Arab Spring would look different than leadership in the French Revolution. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Well, in all other revolutions uh, mm -hmm. to, to come. And uh, this context also uh, defines the kind of leadership style that uh, someone would take on. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if, uh, well, we say that uh, in the global, the new century, that leadership should be more... Um, let's say, uh, participative and mm -hmm. more flat organization, which is mm -hmm. fine. But then let's put a different context. The building is on fire. Uh, yeah, and, I, and we still need the capacity to do the old out the building, that door, control. that way. Right, so to recognize that. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it should be uh, always command and control. But there's a balance. Exactly. And it's knowing when to use which skill mm -hmm. most effectively. And that requires a lot of, for the leader, not just self-awareness, mm -hmm. but also awareness of the context. You know, this is one of the areas I think people, when they hear this inclusive leadership, they're afraid that that means that, that they're not really leading. And what I hear you saying is, in fact, I may lead differently when I'm being inclusive, but I also have to have the capacity to do all types of leadership and know, based on the situation, which one goes when. 
Yes. So um, now, my skills have to be more. Exactly. Now that can be quite uh, uh, challenging for a leader because you may not have all those skill sets, and it may have it, it may come to that time when you have to delegate, mm -hmm. where you say, I, "I do not have the skill set to." Deal with this kind of context, mm -hmm. so somebody else can okay. come in. So either delegation or even co-leadership, right? Yes. Okay. Or stepping aside mm -hmm. and letting somebody else step in, and you're not. And yet, some leaders are not delegate. very excited about that. Exactly. <laughs> well, in, in in a way, that's where power, then the issue mm -hmm. of power, yeah. okay. uh, c comes in. I think that uh, the, the challenge for the, the leadership field is to recognize that uh, it, it's not one or the other. It, again, uh, it's a continuum, exactly. and I need to know which... Exactly. And, and to your point, some are going to feel more comfortable, but how do I strengthen my capacity across the range from a leadership development perspective? You said it beautifully, and that is exactly in terms of uh, leadership development, what we should be doing is to enhance and expand that capacity. What I'm afraid is, and I'm going to be an orthodox here, but that's okay, that I think right now that the sexy thing is to say... Participatory. That, yeah, participatory. And uh, put a lot of emphasis and then somehow if you take on a more command and control during a time when the context calls for that, that somehow you're not a good leader. I, I think that's a brilliant point because, yeah, we, our, our society has now made it sexy to be participatory. Mm -hmm. And yet I can think of times where that's really a bad call. I, I was working yeah. in an organization that was in receivership. This was not the time to get input. This was the time to fix the problem. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that took very decisive and unpopular, in some cases, action, because otherwise the enterprise would be no longer, and then no one gets the benefit of anything. Exactly, exactly. So now the fifth uh, component. So we talked about leaders uh, working together with followers toward moving toward goals in a context, but then put a circle around all of that uh -huh. is the cultural context. Uh -huh. So it's not just the environmental or the organizational context, but there are certain values and norms that guide that relationship. So when you talk about values and norms, I get I know what those words mean. Are you talking about the organization's culture, the societal culture, my industry's culture, no, global the, culture? Well, the societal, you have the societal culture mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the way that uh, a society holds certain collective norms. Okay. But then you also have the global dynamic where... Okay different societies have different norms. Mm -hmm. Now, what's so challenging for leadership uh, today with globalization is that uh, now you have leaders and followers who may have different values, but they still have to work together. Most likely do. Exactly. Either 
the leader being in, on one continent and followers being global exactly. or different ages. We talk about millennials and World mm-hmm. War II generation or any variation. I realize these are big buckets, but lots of variations where I might have different values than the person walking exactly. next to me exactly. in the hallway. So, for instance, I mean, I, th- th- this is a, a personal uh, uh, story that I was born and grew up uh, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so, I grew up in this uh, American Southern Baptist uh, community that mm-hmm. they had developed this seminary. My parents, who were Brazilian, they taught in uh, uh, that seminary. Okay. And so, growing up as a kid, I would play with the missionary, the American missionaries' kids. Mm-hmm. But when uh, the parents, the missionaries, would not allow the Brazilian kids to go in their homes. That's curious. So when the kids, if we had something, and said, oh, uh, the, the missionary kid had, oh, I have a toy that uh, mm-hmm. I want to uh, uh, get for us to play. So we would come in. I would have to stand at the door. Why? Well, that that always puzzled me. And I, I, I never... Two possibilities. So one is trust, lack of trust. They, they mm. thought, okay, these kids, uh, Brazilian kids, they, they, can I trust them to come in? Are they going to uh, steal something? Or are they uh, beneath uh, that uh, they cannot uh, go in because this is their thing? Neither one of those are a positive. No, no. So how did that impact you? And I know we're talking about global culture, and yet here's an artifact of something that has that you're still telling it more than five years later means you've carried way this more forward. than five years later. <laughs> carried uh, this forward. But uh, no, but I, I think I, I carry this with me as an example of mm-hmm. how, when different cultures uh, collide, you have all kinds of dynamic of mm-hmm. uh, power and. Uh, the impact that it has on different people. You know, I'm just imagining a totally different story. Okay. You come to my front door. I hadn't been expecting a guest. I don't invite you in because my crazy uncle's in the back room and he has Alzheimer's and may not be dressed. It has nothing to do with discounting you. Oh, okay. So it's also curious that something happens and we make sense of it based on our view of the world and we carry that we carry that forward and it extends. So maybe we need to put another <laughs> circle around the others, the role of perception, uh, how that uh, no, I, I mentioned the, the example just to, to mm-hmm. illustrate that now more and more we have to deal with that component mm-hmm. of uh, uh, cross-cultural literacy and mm-hmm. competencies but there's also another one, and I'm writing a book right now on this topic uh, that uh, I call the, the global leader. And uh, that's a leader who is not necessarily representing a single culture, mm-hmm. but it's a leader who can transcend mm-hmm. that. So someone who is comfortable in many different cultures Okay, so I'm curious because I was a co-author on a global leader book. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. what you're saying is different than what we talked about. 
And, so it, and it seems very exciting to me. So we talked about a leader who hails from a country, so from the yeah. U.S., and then mm-hmm. I go learn about these other cultures. Yes. Are you talking about someone who identifies as cross-cultural more than American or Brazilian or European? Right. So no, I think it. I think in this century, it's that next okay. level of a, a leader. So I I see my tribe as the global community. Yes, but not I'm not the flag of the country. Yeah, I, but I'm not talking about the the world citizen okay, uh, movement, okay. but a way that a leader can uh, develop his or her own identity and uh, be comfortable in different settings. So, for instance, mm-hmm. right now, if I go to Brazil. Then people say, oh, you have lived in the United States for over 30 years. In Ohio, no less. No, Ohio, <laughs> just uh, 17 years. Okay. But, uh, no, it's Texas, okay. Florida, Alabama. So, uh, you haven't done New York and California. No, and... I, I know. I need to go out west. Uh, but when I go back to Brazil, they say, oh, you're an American. Huh. But when I'm here, then people say, Oh, you're Brazilian. So, so my, my tendency is to say, well, I'm Gama. Okay. So is there a way, I've worked globally, mm-hmm. but my residence has been predominantly in the U.S., so I haven't worked as an expat. How, if I don't reside in a country other than where I grew up, do I develop that capability? I mean, you've had the opportunity to live really develop a dual citizenship in in your essence exactly exactly well it's you don't go to school and you don't take a class <laughs> i teach a class and they, oh, nobody yeah. walks out feeling but, like they're a global leader hopefully they are more global but seven weeks not enough to do it it took you 30 years it, to exactly do. no you develop that over time and uh you also uh, have that opportunity to pick up pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. So, in, in terms of my family uh, history, so the last name is Perucci, so mm-hmm. an Italian uh, family. But uh, my brother, uh, he lives in France. He's okay. uh, uh, a Italian citizen. Hmm. But uh, I have family in Brazil. So it's the way that you just weave that different. And so multi-continental. Exactly. Okay. Now, and just to add one more point about what I find exciting about the International Leadership Association, to kind of bring us all back mm-hmm. to the ILA, is that it gives you that space for all of these different leaders to come together mm-hmm. and share these stories, share these experiences. So if one of our listeners is interested in becoming more global, so we have listeners from 66 countries and they can't all get to Atlanta or Brussels or um, some of the Barcelona, how might they go about, what's the next first step? Well, I, I, I'd like to turn this around and say you don't have a choice. It, it, it's not a, a question of saying how do I become more global? We are becoming more global. As this is as a um, individuals. Okay. We, we we don't have a choice. I, I think globalization is just shrinking the world mm-hmm. to such an extent 
that uh, even in Marietta, uh, I see that. Now, there's nobody else there from Brazil that I've met, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, there, there is uh, a, a cultural richness or different uh, people who are exposed to all kinds of different uh, cultural norms. So, mm -hmm. it's a small town of 14,000, great town in Ohio, mm -hmm. but I feel at home. And yet I'm still, t you know, it, it's hard not to be embroiled in all of the politics that has happened recently. Mm -hmm. And we, we do have people who are just kind of rejecting globalization. Oh, sure. And so sure. I, I, I'm wanting to speak, and just briefly, mm -hmm. to that idea that to be a healthy economic system, no matter which continent one resides within, it's important to acknowledge that we are part of a global economic structure. Oh, definitely. And as we're leading, that we the enterprises we lead will be much more successful if we embrace that global identity rather than rejecting it. Well, and especially for a simply utilitarian purpose that you reach more customers and it's a wider market. Mm -hmm. But I think there are some leaders who try to take advantage of some of these fears mm -hmm. and uh, make a name for himself or herself <laughs> without mentioning any names to, to stoke that kind of fear in people as they lose mm -hmm. some of that. And I'm wanting to respond to that in a non-political way, very mm -hmm. respectfully. When we offshore jobs, people do lose their jobs here. And that's a reality. Well, they may lose one kind of job, but they may gain another kind of job. So, and in fact, in Ohio, where we both reside, we we have a huge market where companies like Honda manufacture. Mm -hmm. so, so we do have a lot of jobs created because of globalization. It's right. not that everyone's been outsourced and, and we're left with a donut in the middle. Exactly. But it, I guess I'm speaking to... People who who may be concerned that as we globalize, they could lose. Oh, sure, sure. No, no, and I don't mean to minimize mm -hmm. uh, that. If you are 50 years old and then you lose your job, mm -hmm. and uh, what are the chances of going back to school and getting mm -hmm. a retraining? It is very scary. Especially when you want to support it, your family exactly, and be exactly. No, and, and I don't want to, to minimize that, but at the same time, you don't hold back industries uh, mm -hmm. simply mm -hmm. because uh, you're trying to protect. So then that's a recipe for economic stagnation mm -hmm. and uh, ultimately, I, I think, uh, economic failure. So it sounds like what we need is a more comprehensive approach to globalization. Uh, oh, definitely. And, yeah, no, the globalization, the topic itself, we could spend another... Days. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. yeah, sorry for trying to shoehorn in a very complex topic, but I couldn't resist especially as a dean of a, a business program, right? Well, no, it's a leadership program okay. that is uh, based on the liberal arts approach. Okay. So we have students from all uh, areas. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we try to do is to at, get students to reflect but also develop leadership skills for all areas in uh, 
um, not just academia, but in the world of work. Thank you, Gamma. This has been just a delight. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Thank really you. Really appreciate your wisdom. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. So as we wrap up this interview, I wanted to focus on some things that stood out for me. We talk about leadership often in this series because it focuses on innovative leadership. And yet, in many cases, we don't specifically focus on the idea of followership. So I wanted to talk for a minute about a chapter that Susan Cannon, Mike Morrow Fox, and I wrote in the book Leader 2050, Critical Challenges, Key Contexts, and Emerging Trends. In that book, we talked specifically about the behavioral competencies and mindset competencies we believe will be important for leaders emerging now and into the future to help us navigate the level of complexity we're currently facing and will continue to face. An example of a leader who inspired followership in me is Paul. We worked together about 15 years ago and I still have conversations with people who will point to specific things he did that have changed the way we think about leading because of his commitment and effectiveness as a leader. A couple of things he did that stood out were his willingness to bring the group together, be very clear about our goals, and also be the one who was willing to take on the tasks that other people didn't do. Clear roles, clear goals. He understood us. He behaved in a way that he knew would inspire us. And he didn't do the things that many leaders do that look like putting themselves first or demonstrating a kind of arrogance. So with Paul in mind, I want to go into how we defined inspiring followership in the book. Specifically, they have the ability to connect with people at all levels of the organization and create a shared vision. And here are a few specific behaviors. They intuitively understand change, the steps to managing change, and how to help the organization overcome its resistance to change. They have the ability to diffuse conflict without avoiding or sidestepping the sources of that conflict. They have a great ability to use humor effectively to put people at ease. They're able to relate to a broad range of people and understand their motivators and stressors. They innately connect project, individual goals while they're working to overcome barriers. So in this case, Paul certainly found opportunities for us to take actions that would encourage our overall effectiveness and career success. And then the ability to provide valuable feedback to others in a manner that is supportive of growth and developmental for the recipient. So this is that idea that someone just told me I, I needed to improve and yet I'm excited to go out and take on new behaviors rather than feeling like I've been overwhelmed. So to tie this back to what Gamma talked about, the idea that leaders who inspire followership need to understand the context in which they're operating and the culture of the organization, realizing that at any given point in time, as a leader, I may have demonstrated a wide variety of behaviors. And the examples we gave were ranging from command and control to participatory. And that for each of us, we probably have a center of gravity or a home base in which we are most comfortable. For me, it's somewhere between command and control. I don't prefer to give commands. And I also don't prefer to be overly participatory. I tend to be fairly clear about who I'm going to seek input from and what specific topics they're going to give input on 
based on the situation and their expertise. And again, for each of us, we'll have a place where we are most comfortable. In the areas where we're not, the question becomes, how do I develop my own self to step into roles that are less comfortable or who do I share power with and have step in in cases where I'm not comfortable? Either approach works, we'll find what is most effective in our current context. So the question for our listeners is, if this behavioral agility is required, how do you diagnose and understand which behavior is most important at any given point in time? Are you willing to share power? And how do you enhance and expand your capacity in areas where you're not either most comfortable or most strong? So thank you very much for joining us again for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are coming to you live from the International Leadership Association Conference, and this interview is one of 10. We encourage you to send me feedback, info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And as we wrap up, I invite everyone to think about what you learned today and experiment with one behavior, whether it's stepping out of your comfort zone and understanding how you might inspire followers differently or from Aldo, are there opportunities within your life that are non-traditional where you can develop skills that you might not have the opportunity to develop in a work setting. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 